Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the CX Goalkeeper podcast. Your host, Gregorio Leoni, will have smart discussion with experts, thought leader, and friends on customer experience, transformation, innovation, and leadership. I hope you will enjoy the next episode. Ladies and gentlemen, this is a big, big pleasure. I cannot believe it to have Shep Icon with me on my podcast. Hi, Shep. Hey, and you know, hi, believe it. <laughs> I'm here in real life. It's me. <laughs> thank you very much. It's, it's really Thank you. I mean, I'm flattered that you feel that way, but thank uh, you. I am really a big fan of, of your books, of, of what you are doing, not only through the books, but through all your shows. It's really outstanding. So, Paul Will, I think you already wrote eight books, or the eight books will come out. But yep. before starting the discussion around your books and which one is the best one, Chef, uh, could you please introduce yourself? Sure. Well, my name's Chef Hyken. You know that. Uh, I'm a customer service and experience expert. The best way, if, if, you're, if you're sitting next to me on an airplane and you say, hey, what do you do for a living? I'm not going to say I'm a customer service experience expert. I think I'll simply ask a question. If, if you ever walked away from a company, a business, gotten off the phone with somebody and, and you thought, wow, that person or that company is amazing. That was an amazing experience. And almost everybody goes, yeah, 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 that's happened. I go, well, that's exactly what I help my clients achieve. And then if they want to know more, <laughs> I'll tell them that, you know, I've written a number of books. Uh, I, I've written training programs on customer service experience, and I am hired to go around the world and talk about it. Either myself and doing keynote speeches at events, or we have our trainers that go out and deliver the content. That's what I do for a living. And that's the best way to describe it. Um, I do believe um, I'm as much of a media company as I am anything else. And that Uh, my goal is to put out lots of content related to service and experience. And I believe the more you give, the more you get, which means I don't really hold anything back. Um, everything that I'm thinking at the time, I, you know, I'll write an article, I, I write my own newsletter, I write for Forbes, I write other columns every once in a while, I put videos out every single week, I hold nothing back. <laughs> And uh, it's just all out there. So that, that's what I do. That's me. Uh, and I think this is also what is great in this uh, customer service or customer experience community that people are sharing everything they know. But I think if you are flying, you are, you are always saying that you are reading books or articles. Therefore, I think people don't want to disturb you asking you what you are doing. You, you wonder, what, am I, what am I reading? Is that what you asked? Yes. Oh, boy. Well, first of all, I read articles every single day. Uh, we have Google alerts and uh, filters that allow us to, uh, and actually Cindy in my office will go through these and say, okay, this would be a good one for Shep to read. And she sends over every day, she sends me articles to read. I actually, I love that. That keeps my education going. In the last year and a half or so, there have been almost, yeah, a year and a half, there's been hardly any meetings happening where I could go to a conference and sit in the audience and listen to a CEO or a, or a CXO or, or maybe some other expert talk about what they're doing or their latest ideas on the service and experience world, whether it be digital chatbots or something as rudimentary and simple as how we train our, our customer service reps to just manage the experience better. I'd love to hear all of that. So since I've been missing that live, uh, I've turned a lot more to, uh, to reading these articles. However, I don't know if you can see, but there's a stack of books behind me over here. 
and I'm constantly receiving new books and reading them, buying them. And um, now that I'm starting to travel again a lot more, I'm back to doing about one book every week or so is how much I read. That's not bad. That's really an outstanding. I think this is outstanding because you can learn really a lot. And perhaps also for, for my audience that they start uh, knowing you and understanding what you're explaining. You already used the word amazing several times. That's <laughs> your word. <laughs> I, I, I am. I, I don't understand why I would use that word. <laughs> <laughs> Could you please define amazement from your point of view? Sure, sure. And, uh, and by the way, I am the chief amazement officer here at Shepherd Presentations. Um, amazing is within the grasp of everybody. And by the way, I've been writing about this, well, foundational content in my book is about creating this moment of magic versus a moment of misery, positive experiences versus negative experiences. Those are my names for it. Then I also have the moment of mediocrity, which is just average or satisfactory. And so I, that's foundational content. And I've added in the last couple of books, the concept of amazement is foundational content. And by the way, in every one of my books, I put chapters, just it's a small, tiny percentage of the book. We've got to get you up to the speed or give you a refresher course. So there's usually you know, a few words written about that. But amazement is within the grasp of every individual and every company. The idea is that you're not over the top where you like create this experience that just blow me away. But when people walk away, they go, you know, that was an amazing experience. Why? You know what? They were so friendly. They were helpful. They were knowledgeable. I mean, these are expectations that every customer has of anybody they deal with. And at the end of the day, this is what our customers actually want out of the people that they talk to and, and get help from. And maybe the salesperson that they're experiencing. And by the way, this doesn't matter if it's B2C or B2B. It's everywhere. So here's what amazement is. It's if on a scale of one to five, one is lousy and five is amazing. If you want to get a five, you need to be consistently better than a three, which is average and not much better. Even Horst Schultz, the co-founder and first president of the Ritz-Carlton organization said, if you're just 10% better than average, you will achieve amazing ratings. Okay. So think about that. One to five, three is average. 3.3 is 10% above average. So this is what you want your customers to say as they learn what you're about and they get in alignment with you know the type of company you are. You want them to say, I like doing business with them. Why? They're always knowledgeable. They always get back to me quickly. They're always friendly. They Even when there's a problem, I know they will always take care of me. The word always followed by anything positive. What you don't need to hear is, you know what? They're always so amazing over the top. They blow me away. Now, that's unrealistic. That will happen when it falls in your lap. You read all these amazing stories about, you know, like uh, Ritz-Carlton stories and Nordstrom stories and Zappos stories, all the great Amazon stories. Great companies have these stories. They are actually <coughs> focused on incidents that happen. But the best companies are consistent and predictable with those above average experiences. That's why I believe that is capable for anybody. Thank you very much for, for uh, this explanation. But then I'm not so sure that you are the chief amazement officer because you are from one to five, you are five. <laughs> Always oh, well, five thank you. for me. <laughs> well, thank no. you. That's because I'm consistently at least a 3.3. <laughs> exactly. But by the way, that's the point. If you're always a little better than average, you're going to get those five ratings on one to five. And, you know, 
Here's a, here's a no brainer. It's so easy. Just call somebody back. You know, if, here's the thing. If you leave a message, if a customer leaves a message and they get an email back in a couple of hours, the, the customer goes, wow, that was quick. What you don't want to do is have somebody wait on, on hold for two hours. Okay. However, if I call you and our lines are busy, and I know this is more customer service and support than anything, but it still works no matter what. If our lines are busy, and I tell you it's going to be at least an hour, but here, give me your phone number, punch in your phone number, and I'll call you back at this appointed time. You're not going to be upset with me for having to wait an hour because I've given you that option. And by the way, an hour is reasonable. There, I just did an article not that long ago for Forbes where I talked about uh, specifically the hospitality industry, but it applies to all industries. And I even said that. I said, it, you know, this is just hospitality. But if you think about it, every industry has their numbers. It appears that about, I don't know, 30, 35 percent or, or whatever of, those, of these companies would respond in a way that made the customer happy, which means, you know, 70 percent or 65 percent are not doing the job. Well, that's a shame. Some don't even respond at all if you email them or, or reach out to them on a social media channel. So it's not that hard to be considered amazing because the bar has been lowered by the laggards. But I will tell you, the expectations have been raised by the rock stars in our business who, who create a consistent and above average experience. Sure, 100% agree with you. And uh, I don't want to prove that I'm reading your books or I read your books, but um, do you still have your barbecue? Are you happy with it? With it? <laughs> the big green egg? Mm -hmm. uh, I love the big green egg. And I can tell you the truth is I wish I had it. We moved into a community. We we were in a condo building and it said, oh yeah, you can have a barbecue pit. But what they didn't tell me is you're not allowed to have an open flame in a community where you live with neighbors that connect. So I, it broke my heart. I even said to my wife, if I knew this, we would never have moved here. <laughs> so one day I will have a big green egg again. I am so sorry. And, and the next question I would like to ask, it's then, uh, where are you buying your cars? Well, actually, great question. So I have bought, um, it, well, we found a dealership that I'd been buying a car for about 20, almost 25 years from another dealership. This particular dealership, and this is out of the book, The Convenience Revolution, um, they, they did something amazing. This was before COVID. They would bring a new car for you to try out. They would pick up your car when you needed service. The dealer told me, you never have to come to our showroom if you don't want, because we will always come to you. And uh, they, they, and by the way, same price, even a little bit higher, happy to do that. Now, I recently, my, my wife still, we have a car at that dealership and we'll continue to buy from them. I just recently bought a used car for fun from somewhere else an, an, or from a private individual but it's not that brand. So I had to go to another dealer. And I mentioned to the dealer, I just had my first service appointment, uh, maybe a month or month and a half ago. And I said to them, I said, wow, I, I forgot what it's like to actually have to come to a dealership, drop off my car, go in, talk to the service manager about what I want to do, leave my keys, fill out paperwork to get a car that I can drive for the day while my car is there. Uh, then I'm wondering when the car is going to be ready and would, when I have to go and make the, you know, trade it back in. And I'm thinking, I just can't tell you how much I appreciate that other dealership even more now.
<laughs> and I think at the end it's it's all about and I was for sure I I was knowing your answers and therefore I created these questions. Uh, I think you are really speaking from your art that it's extremely customer service is extremely yep. important. You are saying customer service it's not a department it's a philosophy. It's and a philosophy. It's embrace everybody. It's embraced by everybody in the organization. That's the only way it works because people internal who never have any connection with an outside customer, needs, they need to recognize their impact on the customer or on somebody that is dealing with the customer. You know, I just got back from a trip yesterday and I checked my bags. One of the very, very few times I've ever, I, probably I check my bags two times, three times a year and I take 75 trips a year. Um, it's usually because I have golf clubs or something like that. Well, this time I had an opportunity to play golf with a client. So we did that. And coming back, I thought about this. If the baggage handler puts my golf clubs on the wrong cart, it goes on the wrong airplane, and I don't see the golf clubs when I arrive. Guess who I go to? I go to that poor individual, I call the poor soul, who sits behind this counter all day long in an office that's called baggage claim office. And by the way, nobody's coming in there to say, hey, thanks, I got my bag. You guys are awesome. No, they're coming in there to say, you lost my luggage. And they have to deal with people who are upset with them all day long. So that person behind the scenes who never sees the customer, not only let me down if they put my golf clubs on the wrong uh, baggage cart, which goes out to the wrong plane, but they also let their internal customer who has to now deal with me. So I, years and years ago, and this will be dating myself, there was a TV commercial with uh, the uh, washer dryer uh, Maytag, the Maytag repairman. The, 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 the commercial was the Maytag repairman sitting there by himself, lonely, the most lonely repairman in the world. Why? Because he never had to go out to make a repair because everybody else was doing their job, putting great uh, product out there, managing the customer's expectations, selling them a quality product at a quality price, and the Maytag repairman, very lonely. That's what we want that baggage claim person to be. You know what? I want our customer support people to be lonely customer support people because nobody needs to call them. Jeff Bezos years ago said when uh, people at Amazon were talking about creating the customer support department, he goes, what do we need customer support for? We need to be so good that we don't need to have that department. But it's true that once the books or whatever products leave the warehouse at Amazon, Oftentimes, they're taken care of by a third party, FedEx, UPS, um, United States Post Office. If one of them loses the package, who are we going to call? We're going to call Amazon. That's one of the reasons they said, you know what? We probably ought to have people here answering the phones and answering questions. But at the end, linked to what you are saying, the best service is no service. <laughs> the best service, ideally, is no service. But, but let's say the best service doesn't need support is probably a better way of saying it. Because to me, everybody's part of that best service. Ultimate is the customer feels like there's no need for that extra service. I'm sure. And they wrote a book about that. And you are in, in your in your talkings, you are also explaining that if service is needed, because sometimes service is needed, then the, the employees need to act like a small business owners because they need to own what, what they are doing. And how is it possible? I'm not speaking perhaps about the cultural point of view, but how can you ensure that these 
employee understand it? Ah, great question. I think it starts, by the way, of define, and it is cultural. There's no way to get around it. Uh, but you have to define what it is you want your culture to be. Um, if you are a, uh, you know, in the hotel business like the Ritz Carlton, uh, where ladies and gentlemen serving ladies and gentlemen is their nine word phrase to describe exactly what they want to achieve. And when you go to work there, when you go to interview, when you just walk through the doors the very first time, you are taught that. It's part of, I mean, right away, it's what you're trained to. Disney does an amazing job where they start to get you into their culture in the interview process. When you just come to fill out the application, you start to experience what they refer to as the Disney difference. When you are brought in at that level and you are taught the expectations from the very beginning and they properly hire and then onboard you and then sustain it with reinforced uh, communication and additional training if necessary, that's how you create that culture. That's how you get employees all in alignment, pointing in the same direction of taking care of your customers, clients, guests, whatever you want to call them. I think you are using examples that are worldwide relevant. I am coming from, from another region from Europe, in particular Switzerland, and here in customer service, the average ending time, the average speed of answer are more important KPIs. And it's starting now speaking about NPS and so on. Uh, what's your view on that? If you're measuring an employee on the average ending time, how can sure, they sure. achieve what you're saying? Yeah, you know, um, hey, can I put in a plug for the new book? Because it's kind of tied to that, which have a brand new book coming out right around now. Uh, it's called I'll Be Back. Here it is. I'll Be Back, How to Get Customers to Come Back Again and Again. And we talk about measurements specifically in the book. And by the way, you can get the book on Amazon. You can go to I'llBeBackBook.com. But here's the thing about measurement. Whenever you're measuring, uh, and by the way, I love that you say a, a very high KPI key performance ind indicator is uh, average halt, uh, call time, handle time, if you will, uh, how many transfers you have to make. You're trying to create this number that we want to keep it below a certain amount. Average call time bothers me because it means you're trying to get the customer off by a certain time. Uh, but uh, average uh, transfer time, we're trying or transfer trying to keep that number low too. We don't want to transfer people. It costs money. So I like the idea that we would want to, I, I'd, I'd like to abolish the call time uh, within reason, okay? But I'd like to emphasize how many times you transfer somebody, how many times a customer has to call back. We want to mitigate or eliminate all of that. But here's the thing about measuring. Um, if you're going to do the, the best measurement, I think, and I know we're getting off, you know, the KPIs, but if you want to look at a real important KPI about uh, the customer, not about how you handle the experience internally, is does the customer come back? And if so, how often? Now, what I want you to do is look at that number, and I want you to recognize what a repeat customer looks like, what a loyal customer looks like. They're different. They're, I love repeat customers, don't get me wrong, but loyalty might be coming in more often. They might be spending more. Repeat customers typically do spend more than every so often or one-time customers anyway. I'm talking about per visit, per average. And I also want to know when I call the company for any reason, be it support, be it just a general question, I have a, a, a problem, a complaint you want me to, 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 I need you to fix for me. I want to know what my experience is going to be. Uh, I'm going to be looking at ratings. I'm going to be looking for, you know, as a customer, I'll research sometimes that information. I want to, and I want to also see 
is there a social media post, a Yelp post, um, any type of review site where I can see somebody who complained and how the company handled it? So all of these are really important. So if you want to rush people off the phone because you want the average call time to be under X number of seconds or minutes or whatever, watch what happens to your KPI of customer satisfaction. You'll start to see it pop up in social media. You'll see it pop up in a change in sales, perhaps, uh, a change in retention. So you'll have higher churn. All of these are really important numbers to look at. Now, I will tell you customer satisfaction numbers, um, NPS, net promoter score, you know, likelihood that you'd recommend. All of these numbers are a history lesson, and we learn from history. We learn what's working and not working. So we learn what we should get rid of and what we should continue to do. Very important measurement. But I said at the beginning, I want to know what the repeat and loyal customers do. Do they come back? Let me put this to you in the most simplistic terms and example. And by the way, this is what I love to do when I write books. I use examples and stories. That's why you asked me about you know, Kirkwood Audi, the car dealership, the big green egg, um, and, you know, any other, you know, examples that I use. They're, they're ones that I think we can all relate to. Um, so uh, where was I going? Oh, uh, I can't necessarily relate to this as much as others uh, because I don't have any hair, but can you believe they hired the bald guy to come in to talk to franchisees uh, who owned hair salons? <laughs> <laughs> And in my interview, uh, in prepping for the speech, and that's one of the things I do is try to understand the audience. I do my homework. I was actually talking to the CEO, and he talked about how he measured actual behavior. And I said, well, tell me about that. He goes, well, we know from experience that um, men are different than women as far as the typical hair treatments they do. Uh, and uh, But typical. I say typical. So you can drop buckets of a, a woman that has long hair, a woman that has short hair, a man that has short hair, a man that has longer hair, a man that gets his face trimmed, a, a woman that gets color. So there's all types of different buckets that you can drop your different customers into. And you know what they need. You know that somebody with this style is going to come back on a monthly basis. So if they break that journey and they come back three months from now, where did they go the other two months? Okay. Why didn't they come back to us? Well, once we understand the cadence of that type of customer, we can measure what the behavior is. And our goal is to push the one-time customer, the first-time customer, the once-in-a-while customer into the cadence of a repeat customer. Now, once we get to a repeat customer, we want to create a loyal customer. Which means, why are they coming to us? That's what I want to know first. Is it because we're more convenient than another salon down the road? Which means they want their hair cut, not because I get a better haircut, but because it's more convenient. That's real important for me to know because if my competitor moves two blocks in closer to my client, I'm going to lose that client. Okay, But knowing that will allow me to say, what can I do to make sure that that client, even if a competitor and by the way, the client may say, I come here because it's convenient. Yeah, the people are nice, but you know what? At the end of the day, I don't want to drive five miles. I only want to drive two. Okay, well, if somebody gets closer, what do I need to save that client from walking away? That's why we have true loyalty programs, which sometimes uh, they are marketing programs that look like loyalty. But what am I doing if all the points went away and all the, you know, come to the my place here? 10 haircuts, the 11th one's free. What am I doing to ensure that if all that went away, that customer is still going to want to come back and do business with me? Because that's why we want them to say, I'll be back. 
Sure, and and I think this is this is this is great. Before we start speaking about uh, about the book, I will be back. Could you please explain me something? You wrote eight books, but you were able to do a speech of two minutes. How oh, do you okay. need to write eight books? <laughs> yeah. So, so, and this is, I, I wrote a chapter in the new book, um, I'll be back called the shortest customer service speech in the world. And that was, it was actually less than two minutes. It was about four seconds. Maybe by the time I would walk on, get the applause, wait for the applause to die down, say what I had to say and get off stage. It might've been maybe 10 seconds, you know, five, 10, actually three, four seconds of words. So what happened is I was hired to be the, the closing keynote speaker and the client said, I don't care what time you go on, you have to end by this time. I think it was like 4.30 in the afternoon because all of the attendees have to get on a bus and go somewhere. We can't be late. Those buses are waiting. I don't care if you, if, if he, if you have to start 20 minutes late, you got to still end on time. Oh, I said, well, what happens if I go on 20 minutes early? Doesn't matter. Just end on time. <laughs> okay. Well, I could see the speakers ahead of me were running over their allotted time. And finally, it's my turn. And I look at the client. He goes, we don't have time for you. I said, well, you got me here. There's two minutes left. There was two minutes left. And I'm thinking, could I do this? Could I do this? I said, Get, let me go out there and let me, let me say something. Really? Go for it. And I walked out. And the first thing I said is, after the applause, thank you, thank you. I know we've got to be out of here now in just a little less than two minutes. And you're probably thinking, what could I do in under two minutes? Well, I'm about to do the shortest customer service speech of all time. So pretend I was just introduced. Let's hear the applause again. Are you ready? Go for it. They're clapping. I say, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I then look out and I say, be nice. And I turned around. I started to walk off stage. And, and everybody was like, they laughed, a few people even smattering of applause. Then I stopped, I turned back around, went over to the microphone. I go, okay, I realize I've got about a minute left. And let me just say that being nice, it sounds so simple, but sometimes simple is not easy. It sounds like common sense. Sometimes common sense is not so common. But here's the thing about being nice. It's foundational because I could be a restaurant. And if I've got the best food in the world, and I'm not nice about the way I serve it, I don't create that pleasant experience, you're not coming back. So foundational, be nice, build from there, see you next year with more information. <laughs> Good night, drive safe, tip the servers. I don't know what I said, but I walked off stage. And that was the end of that. Shortest speech I ever gave. But you know what? It was a powerful thought, wasn't it? Sure, it was, it was outstanding. And I think it's, uh, I, am, I already bought your book. I will be back and my question also to your new book. You don't need to explain all the secrets in, in the books, but perhaps do you have one, two or three favorite, favorite ideas out of your book, example or concept that you want to share? And may I ask one question before you answer? Sure. Can you use your sunglasses? Oh, yeah, yeah. Here we go. Here we go. You, you didn't know I would have these so close to me. All right. First of all, um, I'll be back. It has a little Terminator feel. As a matter of fact, this is actually a font that you, it's an available font. It's called the Terminator font. Okay. And when I started writing this book, I had no idea that I would even come up with this. Uh, I just said, what do we want customers to do? We want them to come back. We want them to say, I'll be back and then do it. And then I started writing, I go, oh, this has got a, a Terminator Arnold Schwarzenegger feel to it. And so I actually wrote uh, uh, is the first article or the first article, the first chapter, I called it, you know, Win and Arnie. And that's when the customer says, I'll be back. 
<laughs> and so in the book, in the movie Terminator, uh, I'll Be Back was not a good thing. The first Terminator, I'll Be Back, he came back and he blew up the whole police station and, and that was it. But in the second Terminator and following up with other movies, he used that phrase, I'll Be Back, a number of times just to, um, it, it was a, almost just a callback and sometimes it was funny and it usually meant something good. What I'd love to share with you from the book is what I think is probably the most powerful content from the book. I, like I said, I don't hold anything back. This is the final chapter, chapter 15. I call it where the rubber hits the road. And there's a six-step process to create the I'll be back experience. And you do it by sitting down with your team and asking a series of questions and walking through this thought process. So let me give it to you briefly. Number one, ask yourself, why would a customer do business with me instead of someone else? By the way, customer, client, guest, resident, whatever you want to call them, patient, it doesn't matter. It's whoever does business with you, B2B, B2C, all right? First question, why? And don't say, because we have great service, because that's what everybody says. Now, what are the true differentiators that you have? Um, is it we've got a bigger selection? Is it our our, our products are higher quality, but make sure that it's tangible. You can prove that to me. Um, I, I dealt with a medical uh, healthcare system and they said, well, we have a heart machine that nobody else in the area has. Well, bingo, if I got a heart attack, I'm coming here, right? So that's a differentiator. Uh, number two, ask the same question about your competitors. Why would somebody do business with them instead of us? Write this down, work together to understand both all, all these questions. It's a group exercise. And if you're doing it, uh, if they're doing things that you aren't doing, don't say, oh, we can do that. Don't just copy it. Make it your own. I mean, some things, yeah, maybe you have to copy because there's no other way of doing it. But if there's a way to make it your own, I'll give you an example. Uh, years ago, some smart person in the hotel business said, hey, let's give our, our guests a newspaper, okay? And they'll drop it off at the doorstep. And somebody said, well, we need to give away newspapers too. Next thing you know, everybody's giving away newspapers. But then some smart hotel said, well, we can do that, but let's make it better. How can you make it better? And we're delivering a newspaper to their doorstep. Get up. They, not, they go, why don't we ask them when they check in if they'd rather have this newspaper or that newspaper? Give them a choice of newspapers. Oh, brilliant idea. See, you see, they just took the same example and they made it different. And now, by the way, that's somewhat common uh, in, in higher end hotels. All right. So that's number two. Number three, I call it keeping pace, which I just mentioned. If they are doing something that you're not doing, can you do something similar and make it better? Number four, have the same question about your competitors, but let's talk about people that aren't in your industry. What other companies are out there outside of our industry do we love to do business with? Any company, doesn't matter what kind of company. Companies like Amazon will always come up. The local store down the street or a local restaurant. And some, maybe it's a manufacturer that's got an inside sales rep that's just absolutely amazing. So uh, they will come up with these great examples. And then you need to do the same thing. Sit down and say, okay, of all these examples, and by the way, doesn't matter if we can or can't do them. I want every reason why we like doing business with them to come up uh, on, on, a, on a flip chart, on a whiteboard, whatever. I then want you to say, fifth part of it, what can we adopt from these other companies? Now, I'm going to take off my glasses if that's okay. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, if you hear ideas, you need to read between the lines. And what that means is, let's say from, uh, what do we love about Amazon? And this happens all the time and when we did this exercise uh, in real time. 
uh, somebody says, well, I love that the moment uh, I place the order, I get this confirmation and they just send me an email and then they let me know when it ships and they send me the shipping information. And then they actually take a picture of the item at my doorstep and they email me. And somebody uh, has said, and I've heard this right you know, in real time, somebody says, well, we're not an e-commerce company and and we're not going to take a picture of something lean. I mean, we're a business to business company. That doesn't apply to us. And I go, foul. It absolutely does apply to you. It's not the picture of the item up against the door, you know, sitting next to your door. It's the fact that they communicate every step of the way with you. Not long ago, I was uh, talking to one of my clients who said, I ordered a half a million dollar piece of machinery and it showed up unexpected. And like, nobody was ready for this to show up. We knew it was coming around this time, but wouldn't it be nice if they emailed or called us? And then the guy says, when I order toilet paper from Amazon, at least they send me an email to tell me it's on its way. Why can't this company do it for a half a million dollar piece of machinery? So you have to understand it's about the communication, not about the picture of the uh, package next to your door. So read between the lines. All right, so that's number five. And number six is once you have gone through this process and started to make your changes, go back and ask yourself the same question you just started at the beginning, which is, why should someone do business with me? Now, for my money, that is, I mean, we've got lots of great chapters in there. We've got a chap chapter on culture. We've got a chapter on why uh, 10 reasons customers would terminate their relationship. Get it? Terminator? I'll put them back on. That's nice. You're terminated. Okay. So <laughs> anyway, why they would terminate. Why would you want to terminate your customer? We've got three reasons for that. We've got a number of different, in, in, you know, the shortest speech in the world. But um this, for my money, is the most important thing that we can do. So I would suggest people listening to our show today or watching our show, get out a pad of paper and write down those six steps. Or even better, go to I'llBeBackBook.com or Amazon.com or wherever books are sold. Go there and get the book. And by the way, at the end of each chapter are study questions for you to sit down with your, your team and go through and discuss these questions and these different chapters in a way that will actually bring them to life. Thank you very much. Outstanding. And uh, I learned also that uh, because I was asking myself, why did you choose I will be back book.com? And I found out that I will be back.com. It's already used by Terminator. It's going to the Instagram of Terminator. Oh, yeah. I'll be back. I'll be back is, uh, and it's not I will be back. It's I. So if you go to I'll be back book, it's, there's no apostrophe in websites, but I L L, I'll be back book. And if you type in I'll be back in Amazon, I don't know what you'll get, uh, but I, sometimes you'll see my book, but, um, but definitely uh, just look up my name, Hiken, or I'll be back book might get it there. Uh, I know there's a lot of uh, uh, anybody that says I'll be back somehow another gets onto this uh, Google search. And, and all. <laughs> I allow myself to answer the next question for you. Sure. I, I can.com or all the social medias you are in there. Everybody can contact you. Yep. Yep. So yeah, hiken.com, H-Y-K-E-N and, and uh, Shep TV is dot com is takes you to my YouTube channel. There's over 600 videos there for you to to look at. And so uh, there's lots of opportunity to learn and uh, subscribe to my uh, free newsletter. Um, I have a cartoon every week. I have clients emailing me all the time when I say clients, people who get the newsletter. Hey, can I use that cartoon for my next team meeting? Yes, yes, yes. That's why I put it out there. I want you to use it. 
let's create this amazement revolution. Uh, so as a matter of fact, that was one of my books, The Amazement Revolution. <laughs> How do you create those amazing experiences that get customers to want to come back to evangelize you and talk about you to their friends and colleagues at work? We are running out of time, but I would like to ask you the last question. And this is your question from <laughs> your podcast. It's uh, the one thing question. The last thing that you would like to share. Ah, the one thing. Audience. Yeah. Wow. Uh, nobody's ever asked me that question before. And, and that's the one I ask at the end of all of my interviews. Um, I would say the one thing is to recognize that all that we're talking about is not a, you know, customer service is not a department. It's philosophical. It's cultural. It's built into the company. If you look at the best companies to do business with that are highest rated for customer service and experience, you'll find out that they're also pretty much the best companies to work with. And I mean, to work for, to work as an employee. And that tells me it's about the culture. The culture permeates. What's happening inside a company is felt on the outside. So don't think about customer service as a department or customer experience as, as a strategy. Think about it in terms of its cultural. You have a customer support department. You have a team of in the marketing department that will make your CX and your service experiences come to life. Thank you very much, uh, Chef. It was really an outstanding discussion. And I think was, I hope also the audience enjoyed this discussion as much as I did. It was really an outstanding time. Thank you very much, Chef. My pleasure. Thank you very much. Yeah. Appreciate it. And hopefully call me up sometime because I'd love to come back. I'll be back. <laughs> sure. Thank you very much. And my really last question, and I already asked you to, to use the glasses, but could you please your signature to this uh, podcast with your usual, usual closing of all your speeches and all your podcasts. Oh, it's uh, just, I always love to say thank you very much. My name's Chef Hyken. Always be amazing. Thank you very much. You, di you did my day. It was really outstanding. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Thank you. If you enjoyed this episode, please share the word of mouth. Subscribe it. Share it. Until the next episode, Please don't forget, we are not in a B2B or B2C business, we are in a human-to-human -human environment. Thank you!